Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we have a lot to get to on tonight's show, including the Orioles not roster invitees for spring training, which includes a lot of prospects, as well as some players who could make a surprise jump to the opening day roster. We'll also get into new prospects lists from ESPN and Fangraphs. And Bob will give us a recap later on of his experience at an Orioles caravan event last week. Uh, but first, as we do at the top of the episode, we want to welcome a new member to our Patreon community, and I'll turn that over to Bob. Yeah, I'm loving this trend of AAA members hopping right in and paying for a year up front. No, it's very appreciated. Doug Watson is the latest to do so. Welcome aboard. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Doug, for joining our Patreon community. Uh, just as a reminder, you can sign up for Patreon for as little as $3 a month and have access to a WhatsApp chat with other Orioles fans, as well as exclusive content, which is available at higher tier levels, including our top 50 prospects list, which we are rolling out daily we're actually coming up on the top 10 this week so if you follow us on social media you might get a little bit of tease of what's going on but for the full list you'll want to sign up for patreon we'll get in now to the non-roster invitees for spring training which were announced by the orioles last week and as is typical with non-roster invitees you're looking at a mixture of guys who are top prospects but are not 40-man roster eligible yet or guys who are probably have a little bit of big league time coming in for a chance to perhaps compete for a spot um, and maybe either make the major league team on opening day or go back to Norfolk as depth options. You know, all off season, we saw the Orioles cycle through and find left-handed hitting first baseman and basically just building depth in that area. So the result is a Frenzy Cordero, Ryan O'Hearn, and Leighton Diaz are all non-roster invitees this spring. All told, there are 30 players invited by the Orioles to camp, including 11 pitchers, 10 infielders, four catchers, and five outfielders. I think the big storyline for us, though, at the start is some of the big-name prospects that receive in invitations to spring training, including guys who should be in AAA to start the year, like Connor Norby and Jordan Westberg, as well as Kobe Mayo and Hessen Kerstad who's to be in Bowie's lineup. Uh, also an interesting mix of pitchers with guys like Chris Valmont, Ryan Watson, and Kate Povich, who we're going to be talking about a lot tonight. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. Um, what's kind of the big storyline you can maybe see out of this group of non-roster invitees? I, mean, I think just broadly looking at this list, it's really cool to see so many of the top prospects here joining Big League Camp. I think... Some are going to be up for a lot longer than others. Obviously, Jordan Westberg is hopefully going to stick around for a while. Colton Kowser, both these guys, Connor Norby, everyone who spent you know time at AAA, hopefully gets a good long look at, at big league camp before they get reassigned to minor league camp. But like I said, you've also got a lot of guys who like a couple of these like Jackson Holiday is up here on major league camp. Um, I think you're setting up for 
what could be a pretty aggressive season of promotions for him, maybe following that same path, start in Aberdeen. I don't, is ending in Norfolk like crazy? Every national outlet is like touting him as the next top prospect in baseball. I was listening to that baseball perspectives podcast this morning and just more continued high praise for Jackson Holiday saying if he was in the Dodger system, he'd be their top prospect. Like just absurd praise for Holiday continues to roll in. I do think there are some sleepers in this group. Uh, maybe a question mark or two as well. I'm wondering why it's cool that the Orioles are giving these guys second chances, I guess. But um, overall, I just hope we get to watch these guys because uh, we know apparently uh, broadcasting spring training games cost like millions of dollars or something ridiculous because we never get to watch them. So hopefully we get to watch a lot of these top prospects. Yeah, I'm glad I'm going to early the first couple games of spring training. Maybe I'll actually get to see uh, – some late inning replacements here with these prospect prospect guys as a uh, as they're still in major league camp, but yeah, I mean it's an exciting list. I, I think John Mealy put it really well in his newsletter that you know, based on coming back from COVID and then the shortened spring training because of the lockout, it, you didn't get to see a big seventy person spring training you know roster like we are now, and it's loaded with either intriguing minor league signings, some major league guys who have seen time in the past in the prospects. And honestly, I, there was a couple surprises, but I, I really didn't see Jackson Holiday coming for, for the major league camp. I mean, Hudson Haskin doesn't get invited, but Jackson Holiday does. That's, that's a shocker. It's a, a good one, though. It's exciting. I think that means Delmarva's in the rearview mirror. I would be shocked if he doesn't start at Aberdeen at this point because – just I don't know that's that's the feeling I'm getting all of a sudden especially with Daryl Hernay's gone now I feel like you can make it make sense a little bit more to start him up in Aberdeen and uh, that's exciting for me as someone who lives pretty close to there yeah let's get into that for a minute because you know you're obviously not bringing Holiday in at least I don't think because you see him as a big league contributor this year but I think it is something that they could use to set the table for him to get to Aberdeen right away and not have that stop back in Delmarva, which for most of this offseason, I had pretty much figured that's going to be the course for Holiday. Go to Delmarva. If he's, you know, dominating the pitching at that level after a month, that's when you pull, pull him up to Aberdeen and he would spend the bulk of the summer there before maybe getting the buoy. But now it does kind of feel like maybe the Orioles are looking at that a little bit because you do clear up some of that log jam with Daryl Hernandez being traded, um, I still feel like there's going to be a guy that maybe is held back that normally in most organizations would be in high A at the start of the year. And I had thought for most of this offseason that it could be Jackson Holiday and Carter Young up the middle with the Shorebirds to start this season. But now I'm wondering, does Holiday actually make that jump right to Aberdeen? Yeah, sorry, Adam Crampton. You're going to Delmarva now. <laughs> I mean, I could see it. I You look at... Again, all, all these podcasts, every national outlet that's talking about Jackson Holiday right now, touting him as the next top prospect in baseball, they keep highlighting this the batted ball data and, and things he was looking at. I think it was the Baseball Perspectives podcast that was like, I don't know, the the one guy who was doing a, a lot of the, the analysis there on the show, but he he kind of said he didn't really cover the draft. So like he's kind of hesitant to put draft prospects so high up, like team prospect list. And he was like, I looked at the batted ball data for Jackson Holiday and said he's the top prospect. Like, there's no question about that. He's going to be a top prospect very soon. Uh, yeah, and getting him in big league camp, I think it is going to be really cool for him to get up there and just 
he gets to be there with Gunnar Henderson, your Jorge Mateos, a Gold Glover and Ramon Arias. He gets to be there with Joey Ortiz and so many of these like talented middle infielders. Give him a nice little taste as a he's still 18, right? Or just turned or is he 19 yet? I don't know. Regardless, he's he's a baby. He looks 12. He's going to be a big league camp. I'm I'm pretty stoked because I, I think I think I mentioned this last week that like it's if Jackson Holiday comes out of the gates hot, it's going to be hard to like hold back my excitement and expectations for him because the national media is already doing a really good job. Not Orioles media, not just us. It's the national media doing a really good job of really hyping this kid up this offseason. Yeah, I believe that was Jeffrey Pettinastro. Um, he's he's a Mets guy, but he's a prospect guy. He's been with them for a little bit now. He's he's pretty smart. He's usually pretty reserved. So yeah, he was pretty escalating in praise very quickly, as everyone has been. And it's it's kind of weird. I feel like usually we're in on a guy first, and then the national media catches up. In Jackson Holiday's case, it's like we're trying to catch up to the national media with him, uh, just because it seems like anyone you talk to that's all they want to talk about is Jackson holiday. And, and I, we're not going to get to see a ball, uh, stat cast stuff, but I saw a tweet today and I think, uh, we retweeted it from our main account that all triple a, um, stat cast data will be available. So that's exciting. But, uh, if we could see Jackson holidays, maybe we would be, uh, singing his praises just like everybody else, but man, it's exciting. And I feel like it just shows like, you know, this front office, this player development, they don't have a set path. Like, you have to follow this. If they didn't even want him to get to Delmarva last year, I feel like I feel like they wanted him to stay in the FCL, force their hand just because of where he was at. And if they're looking at things and, and are thinking, I mean, he's already good enough to be at Major League Camp and go right to high A, that just shows that, you know, they're serving the player best and not just, you know, going through the motions, which I feel like would have been the case in the old regimes. What's interesting in Holiday's case is I think that one thing you, is really clear about him is that he does not have a plate discipline problem. So is a player like that really going to be challenged at low A? You know, my first thought, you know, even just a few weeks ago was, well, there's probably still some things he could work on there. But if the Orioles feel like he's going to see tougher pitching, more consistent uh, strikes from opposing pitchers at high A, then that could be a good reason to make that move. Yeah, and like we've said before too, once these guys get to AAA, it's obviously a different story. But the rest of their time in the in the system, they're going to be aggressive with with these prospects. They'll move you up three levels. How many guys have done that over the last two years? They'll start you higher up than maybe we probably think they should or, or probably assume they would. Um, yeah, they, they're going to challenge these guys. And if Holiday gets up to high A and struggles for a couple of weeks, then that's like that's not a bad thing at all like that's what's expected of these guys they want that they want to see these guys get up think about Gunnar Henderson uh you know last year and what he did um yeah it's I I I would bet a lot of money that he starts at high Aberdeen for sure and could you imagine if he gets off to a hot start and it's just you know has great walk strikeout numbers and is actually hitting for a little bit of power in Aberdeen and he's up in Bowie by June then what <laughs> like it's you're going to a more hitter friendly environment is jackson holiday actually going to get to triple a norfolk at 19 in his first full season as a professional sign me up it feels like when you look at this group um of non-roster invitees there's probably a lot of players that are not candidates for the opening day roster but that you could see making the major leagues by sometime in the second half uh colton calger is a big name that jumps out 
because it, it looks like he's a guy who, if he goes back to AAA, he's able to cut back on the strikeouts. He could be an upgrade for the Orioles somewhere in their lineup. But you've also got this mixture of players like Kobe Mayo, like Heston Kerstad, uh, Connor Norby, who feel like they could be poised for a big year if they go back to the minor leagues. And in the case of uh, Kerstad and Mayo, you're looking at double-A, Norby at triple-A. So, Bob, I'll start with you here. Which player or players do you think could really use this time to set the stage for that type of jump to the major leagues at some point this season? Yeah, I think all of the above, but the two that stand out to me right now, Kobe Mayo and Heston Kerstad, I feel like these guys will be – we know Kobe Mayo is at least going to start in WBA. We're assuming Heston Kerstad is going to start in WBA after the Arizona Fall League that he had, but – I feel like if, I mean, and I saw some video of Kerstad hitting today, hitting bombs in, in that little, you know, top prospect camp they have going on. Seems like he's he's hitting the ball as hard as ever. If those guys come out looking impressive and, uh, and can just do some damage early, even if they're not at Major League Camp for very long, just get that feel, uh, make an impression, just get that confidence going so that they can start off with the strong start in double a and and like we saw with gunner last year they could be making their major league debuts by september late august maybe i don't know i mean it's possible we heard michael Elias, and we'll get to this more later talk about how moving guys around not because they can't play the position that they've been playing but because hey we want to line these guys up to make a contribution as, as soon as possible to major league level get their bats in the lineup so yeah for me it's mayo and kerstad impressive starts kick things off uh, 2023 could be could be the the years of the 2020 draftees yeah i think looking at the hitters i feel like we're, we're just been focused on the hitters for right now it gives good opportunity to segue into Povich later on but as far as the hitters are concerned yeah Kowser and norby like they're not going to start on the major league roster that's for sure but this is a really good opportunity for them just to be sponges in big league camp norby when he was on with us talked about that relationship with taryn vavra and how much he's learned and now he's going to be up there with you know back with Joey Ortiz again but with you know Jorge Mateo, Ramon Arias, uh Adam Frazier, a proven veteran who's been doing this for a long time, play second base. Norby's going to be able to learn a lot. Colton Kowser's going to get up there with Santander and I, I feel like we we're going to talk a lot more about Colton Kowser later on. I got some things. But um yeah, Kowser's going to get up there and get to learn with you know Santander, Cedric Mullins when Mullins is there when he's not at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, these guys have got some proven veterans that they're going to get that taste from, just learn and absorb, I hope. And hopefully they are in the major league lineup by the end of the year. Mayo, I think, could set himself up for his true breakout year this year. We really haven't seen – I mean, he's not a sleeper by any means, but he hasn't really had like that breakout year. And a lot of it's due to some injuries and everything. But like, I would not be surprised – You know, first of all, we're going to see him moved around. Also, like he he might play some first base in spring. Uh, that's not an indictment on his defense at third base. I don't know if we'd see him in the outfield in games. I don't know if you take a top prospect like that and throw him out there in the outfield in spring games. Maybe we see that more in Bowie when he gets down there back to Bowie. But you're going to see a lot of Kobe Mayo, I think, early on, especially late in games. And again, going back to that the Baseball Perspectives podcast, they were very high on Mayo as well, but used that segment to kind of talk about like the pitch recognition. 
and how you know studies have shown that yeah you can get up there and say like there is a ceiling to developing pitch recognition but with Kobe Mayo it's just a matter of he needs at bats he hasn't had these long stretches of at bats we know he can punish fastballs he can punish mistakes so like that could be something that like I'm going to watch for I think because that's something a couple people have pointed out if Kobe Mayo's in big league camp and he's hitting breaking balls and off-speed pitches and looks like he's playing well like watch out for 2023. This is definitely going to be his year. And if he's not, well, that gives you something like to look at and watch him develop this year. And now he's going to go back to minor league camp, knowing exactly what he needs to do. Um, I think this spring could be huge for setting Mayo up for that that breakout season, which it, it's coming. It's coming soon. Yeah, I mean that's a great point because that's what we saw from Gunner immediately uh, at the start of his breakout year. We know that walk and strikeout percentage is like one of the earliest things to stabilize and and be like meaningful in a small sample size we saw that his strikeout rate was going down and his walk rate was going up if we see that with kobe like you said i mean that's that's going to be a pretty good sign early i'd also say you know like with norby and Kowser, yeah they're not going to make the team but they're going to at least be around the guys that are going to be on the major league team when they do eventually make it up to the majors, hopefully later in 2023. So it'll be good to get some them to get some familiarity with the guys that they'll be eventually playing with and competing with. And I feel like Cesar Prieto might be going a little under the radar here. He's he's in here. If you've seen his Instagram, uh, he's hit the weight room. Uh, he's trying to add power to that hitterish frame of his. And however he's doing it, if it works out, could be could be a surprise. Um, and I guess we'll get to. Jordan Westberg and Joey Ortiz, who obviously Ortiz is on the 40 man, not a non-roster invitee, but I feel like those two are actually have a less greater than zero chance of making the team less than, I don't know, whatever I was trying to say. I think they have an outside, very outside shot to make the team if they impress enough. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, let's talk about Westberg for a minute, because when you look at his numbers, it seems like he really doesn't have anything left to prove at AAA, at least offensively. Um, it's going to be hard for him to go back to Norfolk and be a better hitter than he was last year. So if he goes back and he looks the same, that still looks like a big league ready bat. Yet he's not Rule 5 eligible until this December. So he's not on the 40-man roster yet, whereas Joey Ortiz is. You still have Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo around. The Orioles brought in Adam Frazier. They still have Taron Vavra as well. So at this point... Do either one of you see a path for Westberg to make the opening day roster? I don't. I, and I know a lot of people would would probably have preferred to see the Orioles just go into camp with the options they already have that you listed minus Frazier and then throwing Westberg in the mix and maybe giving him a bit of an inside track to make the roster. But like you said, Westberg's not on the 40-man roster. Maybe if things were flipped and he was Rule 5 eligible and on the 40-man back in December and Joey Ortiz wasn't, he had the, the extra year it'd be different, but, and you're also going to have two spots open up when you can put John Means and Seth Johnson on the IL. You're going to have two 40-man spots open up, but you just read off the names, Adam Frazier, Gunnar Henderson, Jorge Mateo, Ramon Arias, Taron Vavra. Like, would they really use one of those spots for another infielder? I I don't see it, unless there is a trade, and there could be. We were talking before we came on. Like, maybe somebody gets desperate here as camps open up and the season approaches, and, you know, Maybe it's Mateo. Maybe it's Ramon Arias. I mean, it could probably be in any of those guys, minus Gunnar Henderson. Um, that gets in Adam Frazier since they just signed him, but it could be any of those guys moved. Um, then maybe Westberg does get that opportunity. 
Like, I just think just make the most of your opportunity in spring, like wherever they put you, if it's second, third, short, wherever, make the most of it. Do what you do on a nightly basis the last couple of years. Just be consistent. Uh, be consistent at the plate. I think that's maybe the biggest knock on him is he does. He's streaky. He's a very streaky hitter. But like we all know exactly how this is going to play out. He's going to go back to Norfolk. He's going to stay there way longer than he probably needs to be. He's going to continue to show the power. He's going to be less streaky. And just the daily yelling on social media is going to get louder and louder because Jordan Westbrook is still in AAA. And I don't know, Adam Frazier is getting all the at-bats. Taron Vavra is still sitting on the bench. I don't. I, I think Jordan Westberg, I was thinking about this um, earlier today. I think once the season starts, or not too long after the season starts, Jordan Westberg could probably end up being a topic for a full show. Because so I think he does make for a very good, like, deep, interesting conversation about who he is as a prospect and where he fits in this organization. But I'd love to see what Astros Twitter was looking like when Kyle Tucker had like back-to-back seasons in AAA putting up OPS over a thousand and, and still not making it full-time to the major leagues. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I had Westberg making the team before they signed Adam Frazier and before they didn't trade either of Urias or Mateo. So with all those factors, yeah, I had to shift him back to AAA to start the season in my projected roster. But, you know, he's an injury away, a trade away from being right there with the chance to do it. Say Ramon Urias goes down with the minor injury or whatever, and there's an extra spot available on the opening day roster. I feel like he could easily take that spot, especially if he's playing well in camp. But I think he'll be in Major League Camp pretty close to the wire. I think they're going to give him a really long run, give him every chance in the world to just show him what he's got. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I, I think that right now, if I had to predict it, I would have Westberg back in Norfolk at the start of the year. And I think that if if a 40-man roster spot goes to an infielder, which I don't really think is necessary, but if it does, I expect it's going to be one of the first basemen because they spent the entire offseason trying to build depth in that area. And you feel like someone out of O'Hearn, Cordero, or Diaz has to make the opening day roster. Because otherwise, why are they all three in camp? Um, but with Westbrook, the only argument that you can make that I would find plausible from a pure development standpoint is he has to be able to play left field to get it back in the major leagues this year. And you can't expose him in the major leagues. That would be the only argument for me that from a development standpoint where I would accept that Westbrook needs to go back to AAA and get better at something or develop something because otherwise I think what you see is what you get. He's going to be capable at three infield spots. He's going to give you a little bit of power. He'll run hot and cold at the plate. The strikeout rate might be a little bit higher than what you would like, but he'll give you a good walk rate and he can run. So a lot of things there to like. And I don't think that you know him going back to AAA and playing second, short, and third in the lineup every night really does much for his development. But if you think that he needs to be in left field at least one or two nights a week to get it back to the major league level, then by all means have him work on being a left fielder at Harbor Park and not in Cannon Yards. Yeah, there's also to it, and we're going to dive into Eric Loggenhagen's list from Fangraphs as well, but I know he's been this guy who has, for a couple of months now, kind of been 
targeting Jordan Westberg a little bit and saying with these new shift rules, shift limitations, that someone like Westberg is going to be really hurt by this. And I think he's already like pegging Jordan Westberg down the ladder a little bit for his defensive limitations. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to impact him. I don't know. We'll have to see, like, let that play out, let more data come out and let people smarter than I am kind of show who's this is helping, who it's hurting. But I mean, that could be a factor as well in all of this. We, we don't know. Yeah, I think that's all pretty good. I mean, I don't maybe he could use more in-game reps at second base if that's the direction they want to take him when he does get up to the major league level. Maybe, you know, like he has been a streaky hitter in his first two full minor league seasons, maybe. But I think that's probably just who he is or it's, you know, that can iron out itself either way, majors or minors. Um, yeah. And there were some things that Elias said at some of these caravan spots, which we'll talk about later again, that, you know, hey, maybe these guys can be in the majors, but they're going to have to earn playing time. They might not, you know, be in the lineup every night and we can develop them, develop them from the bench and, and get them in at random spots when when they're needed. So it, it's going to be very interesting. And yeah, I'm I'm confused why Robert Newstrom is here and not Hudson Haskin. Can, can we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, was, I mean, it's first of all, I mean, going back to the first base thing, too, I I just want to say it's Frankie Cordero season. That's who it is. That's why I don't care how bad he is. I, I'm glad he's here. Even if he's just stuck in Norfolk for like three months before he gets cut or whatever. I'm just so glad French Cordero is here. Um, but yeah, I had a question, Robert Newstrom too. Like he did a great job last year in Norfolk, like limiting the strikeouts and, but at nothing else really was there. He really kind of failed to capitalize on his opportunity uh, coming off a really good 2021. He only had a 84 WRC plus in Norfolk last season. It was maybe there's some injury and the Orioles are giving him another opportunity. I don't know, but I, he also went down to the Dominican this winter and was really bad there as well, like could not hit. And those are pretty hitter-friendly winter leagues. I mean, take those stats for what you will, but he kind of struggled there too. A lot of strikeouts, just a couple of hits. Yeah, I would have liked to see a prospect like Hudson Haskin since he's so close and should start the year in AAA. But yeah, I think I guess the Orioles still see something and maybe want to give him one last shot. Yeah, I don't really understand the omission of Haskin either. Um, I know that when you look in that spot, there's probably some redundancy because on the 40-man roster, you have Cedric Mullins and Ryan Mountcastle. You also have Daz Cameron, a former top prospect in camp, to go with Colton Cowser. So maybe the Orioles didn't necessarily feel like the innings were there for Kerstad to get time in, or, um, excuse me, Haskin to get time in center field. But at the same time, you could point out other areas of this list and figure out, well, okay, how are you going to find at bats for Nomar Mazzara, Robert Newstrom, and Hesson Kerstad when they're all left-handed hitting? corner outfielders you know how does Caesar Prieto mix in with Westberg and Norby and Jackson Holiday, depending on how many bats you're going to give him how much of Josh Lester are we actually going to see yeah so those kind of things come up and it makes a little bit less sense why Haskin is not here I do want to talk about the pitching for a minute before we move on to our next topics is there anyone here that jumps out at you guys as someone who could really boost their stock in terms of getting major league innings this year. Because for me, it's Ryan Watson. Uh, he'll be rule five eligible after this season. So the Orioles are going to have to make that decision with him. And he looked decent in AAA when he got time there at the end of last year. And if nothing else, this is a guy who I think could 
settle into some sort of multi-relief inning role um, later in the year. Now, maybe the Orioles aren't going to have a need there necessarily, but we always know that you can't account for pitcher injuries. I think for me, like excluding Cade Povich for this part of the conversation, because we're going to dive into Cade Povich. But yeah, Watson, this is a good opportunity for him. Reigning minor league pitcher of the year in this organization is good. It's really cool to see Chris Valamont there. I know the three of us like the stuff. Um, it, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. If it does, though, I mean, just what a story. And uh, being able to identify him in those disastrous numbers with Minnesota, I mean, able to turn things around. He's going to get another opportunity there. We'll see. They, like these guys with major league experience, Edward Bizzardo, Kyle Dowdy, Reed Garrett. I mean, maybe. I, they're better quality depth, if anything, than like some of the guys we've had in the past. But, yeah, I want to see some of the guys we've had already. Like, it's cool to see Cade Stroud there. John Muley nailed that. Like, give him all the credit in the world right there for calling out Cade Stroud and his 99-mile-an-hour fastball, sweepy slider, curveball changeup, uh, profiling him as a, a, quote, true major league weapon. Um, it's very clear that the Orioles are going to be aggressive with him if he can hold up. I hope Cole Uvila takes advantage of this. I want him just to make the major leagues so bad. I want him to get that opportunity. Hopefully it's with Baltimore, but just somewhere. A 40th round draft pick was a hitter in college. I think just kind of on a jokingly became a pitcher, and then it stuck um, for him. He had a really fantastic season overall, except the month of June. That was it. Outside of the month of June, he was really unbelievable. I think it was him, Tim Naughton, and Nick Vespi were having that competition of who could go the longest without uh, giving up an earned run, and Uvila lasted like over a month uh, before he did. Um, and I, I like these veterans. I, I kind of uh, wrote about this the other day. Wanderson Charles is growing on me a little bit. The numbers are, are awful, 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 awful. Like a 12, was it 11-something ERA, more walks and strikeouts, but – the dude is massive. Like he's listed 6'4, 260 something. Uh, I don't know how accurate that is, but throws a hundred plus miles an hour. He was getting better in 2019. And then 2020 happens. So you got the pandemic. 2021, he doesn't pitch at all because of an industry injury. Uh, so he's missed two full seasons and he was a control issue guy. So like that's not great. And we saw that last year, but he went down to the Dominican, I, I saw, and struck out 16 guys and walked just three and like 12 innings of work in the Dominican. So the control is back this winter. Maybe it's a, just a hard reset for him, and he could be interesting. Um, I don't think there's a high probability of him making the team, but he's going to be a really interesting guy to, to watch down in Norfolk, I think, this year. Yeah, Juanis and Charles, that was mm-hmm. going to be one that I, I singled out too. I love the the little article you wrote on your new Substack. Anyone mm-hmm. listen to this should subscribe to that. Uh, we're going to try to mm-hmm. write some things here and there on our Substack, so – Make sure you follow. That was a good one. And between him and Darwin's and Hernandez, who passed through waivers from the mm-hmm. Boston Red Sox, one's a righty, one's a lefty, but they're both big guys with great stuff that just need to hone in the control a little bit or the command a little bit better. And that's what the Orioles seemed to do really well with last year. So if they can do that again, I feel like they could eventually become weapons. Maybe Darwin's and Hernandez. I just like saying that name. Darwin's and Hernandez could uh, be the Sinal Perez replacement if – Perez is part of a, a big trade or, or something like that at some point. Um, you know, I'd feel like they'd want to make sure of that before they actually go ahead and, and do that. But I feel like that's possible. And there's some there's some upside here. I think Cade Povich is probably going to be a guy that gets in one game before he gets sent back down to my league camp. But 
that's still cool for him. Cool experience. Kind of like Grayson and DL last year. Uh, I like all the names you mentioned. Watson, Valman, Uvala, Stroud. Those guys I'm excited about. Not so much uh, Reed Garrett and Ofredi Gomez, but obviously <laughs> they must like something that they see. But uh, the hitters are more exciting. But there's some definitely uh, some guys worth, worth uh, looking out for here on the pitching side. I'm going to talk more about one of them in a minute. But first, a word from DraftKings, our sponsor. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner, Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boost. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern time to see what prop bet will be boosted. It's the final NFL game of the season, so why not have some fun with this one? Right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, any non-QB to throw a touchdown pass is currently listed at plus 2,200 odds. With Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid back in the Super Bowl, never count out some trickery that could turn your $10 bet into a $230 win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code on the verbs. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code on the verbs. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So last week we had another top 100 list drop, this time from Kylie McDaniel over at ESPN. And much like the other top 100 lists, that have come out this offseason. It was full of Orioles with nine players from the farm system making the list. Gunnar Henderson was there at number one. But it got a little bit interesting in the middle of the list because at number 54 is left-handed pitcher Cade Povitz. Now, you know from listening to this show that we are all three pretty high on Povitz. Um, and a lot of national writers started kind of uh, noticing Povitz at the beginning of last year with Minnesota before the Jorge Lopez trade over the summer. So Povitz is not an unknown commodity, but this was the first major top 100 list to include Povitz. And it did so at a pretty high spot at number 54. And McDaniel notes Povitz's type as, quote, lefty with above average stuff and above average command. He also talks about the velo spike that he saw after he signed out of the draft in 2021 going from running typically 88 to 92 miles per hour with his fastball at the University of Nebraska to 92 to 94 after entering the twin system. He sustained that velocity increase last year, ended the year in double-A buoy where he will likely start the 2023 season. So, um, Nick, I'll start with you on this one. I think we all like Povitz, but this inclusion was kind of a surprise. It was a shock. I was not expecting that at all. I think, I don't know who it was, but uh, uh, apologies, but it was a patron who posted it in the uh, patron chat first. And I was like, there's no way that Kate Pope is really number 54 on this list. Uh, and I'm sitting in my son's daycare, uh, waiting for the door to open and drop him off for the day. And uh, it was, he was 54. I was, uh, it's not, I was shocked not because he doesn't have the talent to be a top 100 prospect because he certainly does. But just shock deal was so early. I was, I thought, you know, maybe best case scenario, like he starts back in Bowie. We see some like legit notable changes in something, you know, the tweaks the Orioles make with him. And then maybe someone from a national outlet is at a game. He has a good game. 
there starts to be some chatter. There's an article or two. And then like mid-season updates, right? You see Povich, maybe not even the top 100 yet at that point, but you know, Baseball America, top 10 guys who you know popped this year, just missed our top 100 list, like, and Povich is there. I could have seen that, but I, I love it. Shout out to Kylie McDaniel for being bold, having a, a, a hardcore take, and you know, it, it's backed up with data and observations and conversations. I mean, Kylie McDaniel is not Joe Blow on Twitter. Like this, is one of the more respected guys in this industry. So it's it's really cool to see him uh, take that kind of stance with someone like Povich. Yeah, I I pretty much agree. At first, I was shocked. Then the more I thought about it, the, I was still surprised. But the the fact that anyone did it, it was Kylie. I was not as surprised because I think it was the mid-season update ESPN did uh, last year that he mentioned Cade Povich as someone that was on the out, like just missed the top 100 then, and it was kind of surprising then. So I guess he must have just continued to hear more and more good things about him. And I guess, hey, maybe there's a reason that Michael Eisen company uh, targeted him in that trade. I think he would be the Twins' top prospect. I think there was no other Twins prospect that was higher than him on the top 100. So that's pretty crazy. Um, but like Nick said, I assumed maybe this was something Povich, and maybe with other lists he will, uh, that Povich by midseason could end up popping on like the back end of a top 100 here and there. But to see him just show up right at almost a top 50 prospect for this, oh, ho-hum left-handed pitcher that we just traded for at the trade deadline last year, it was very cool to see. And what is it, 11 or 12 different Orioles prospects landed on top 100 lists over the past couple of weeks? Uh, pretty impressive. And maybe the most mind-blowing thing was that Matt Eady did an article today about how, you know, what's next, Orioles fans? Do you have all these uh, players in your on, on our top 100? And what does that mean? And he went back to 1990 and based on the value of where the players landed on the top 100, the Orioles had the fourth best collection of prospects in their history since 1990. And uh, usually means good things moving forward. And this is with Adley Rutschman graduating as the number one very recently as well. So yeah, things are, things are looking good here in Birdland. You wouldn't know it by uh, reading Twitter, but it that is. That Jorge Lopez trade sucked. <laughs> Okay. I thought that Povich was going to be one of those guys that kind of like you both mentioned where it was going to take a little while uh, for people to catch up. He would have to get off to a good start at Philly, have a good outing in front of a national writer or two, and then slowly people would start to come around. It's not that I think anybody has really underestimated Povich at this point. Um, I think that most of the reports that are out there from him on from the national outlets are generally accurate. It's just that Kylie McDaniel, I think, is looking at Cade Povich, and he sees a starter. And not only does he see a starter, he sees a guy who has the mix to be a pretty reliable mid-rotation guy who could eat innings for you. And that's not that easy to develop. Um, if it was easy to develop, you wouldn't have these kind of pitchers in demand every offseason in free agency. So if the Orioles can do that with Povich, and possibly do it as early as the start of next season or maybe even late this year, that's going to be a big player development success story with an assist from the Twins. But the Orioles will have been the ones to get that, get Povich into that next year. I feel like it was even mentioned, maybe it was by Kylie or by someone else, that as soon as the end of 2023, he could be a major league starter. So 
man, that would be that would be something else right there. And uh, yeah, I don't know where it's going to fit in, but it could happen, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a lefty, beautiful mechanics. I love watching him pitch. Uh, I think I can't remember exactly where I read this. If I don't think it was on the Fangrass list or where it was, but. Like he he really looks up to Clayton Kershaw and he tries to model his his curveball after Clayton Kershaw's curveball, which I mean that's a decent pitch, but like I mean he's got four above average pitches, and I'd say I would have said this six months ago that he's got the highest ceiling in this organization from the pitching side of things, not named Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall. Like if you want to say Seth Johnson, I'd buy that. Uh, if you wanted to say Carter Baumler when he was healthy, I'd probably buy that as well. But you know, he's got. A, that's a that's a whole other topic, but I'd say Kate Povich probably has the highest ceiling outside of Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. And like you look at some of the numbers with the Twins, he had a 32% strikeout rate and a sub 8% walk rate. Good ground ball numbers, increased velo. Like he was having a really good year with Minnesota, dominated in Aberdeen, gets moved up to Bowie, and I think you know people just do his ERA. I don't care about his ERA and Bowie. Like he got traded, what three quarters of the way probably a little bit more through the season. Uh, and the Orioles said, just keep doing you. Like we, we've mentioned that a couple of times already that it, the Orioles didn't really change the mechanics or anything yet. So he's had this full off season where he's been able to have those conversations with, I'm sure like some of the pitching coaches down in the minor leagues and analysts, your Mitch Plasmeyers, maybe Chris Holt gets involved. I don't know how much he gets involved with the prospects, but he's got a lot, uh, a lot of these uh, interactions, I'm sure with the Orioles analysts and de- player development. They've got a full-fledged plan in place for him. Now he can start fresh in 2023 with Bowie, work his way up from there. And really, he just hasn't pitched much at all recently. He only had one season of college ball because of the pandemic. Gets traded midseason last year. So I think, yeah, going to Bowie and pitching every five, six days is going to be really good for him. Like, And I think I have Eric Longenhagen's report here on him. He's like just as glowing, talking about he's touching 96 with possibly more velo in that tank. And he refers to Povich because he hasn't really pitched that much up to this point, possibly a, a late bloomer who like really pops and gives him a 60 future value grade command. I mean, that's, you got four above average pitches that you can command that well. Like you're, you got a future here. I even feel like uh, his Twitter presence, his own tweets have been like, I'm coming world. Watch out. Like he's just being very cryptic. Like here's how you're going to increase your velo guys. It's not about gaining weight and, I don't. I don't know. It's been. It's been really cool to see the confidence. It. It kind of goes through there. But the fact that the Orioles had a thirty-minute conversation, welcome to the to the Orioles with Cole Irvin about what they're going to do and and all that. Uh, I think they had something planned for Kapovich, and it seems like it's working based on the the grapevine. Yeah, and just to underscore uh, what Nick mentioned about Povich's experience, only twenty-one in the third innings pits before the 2020 college season came to a halt because of the pandemic. He did pitch in the coastal playing league that summer, but still only 26 and a third innings. He then followed up with 91 innings between Nebraska and the twin system in 2021 before the big jump to 114 last year. Um, So we've seen him really pick up the workload um, over the last three years. And, you know, now it's going to be a matter of seeing, is there more in the tank there? Um, and I have to think at this point there could be just because he is raw, but he has come so far just since the start of the 2021 season. What if there is more velo there, right? And you, you 
get better command or, or better, you know, shape, whatever it is, you, you, you hone in your entire repertoire. You, what if there is a couple more ticks, the velo across the board or whatever, like left-handed side, touching 96, 97, 98 miles an hour. If this is like another like DL hall with maybe not as elite pitches as DL hall, but maybe just a, a tick below in every category, but with twice as better command, three times as better command. If that's Cade Povich, like that's a fantastic pitcher. That's why he's 54 on this list. If you're looking at that kind of potential. I was going to say, people ask, what if DL Hall had plus command? Well, look at Cade Povich. No, I doubt that he'll ever have that great of stuff. But no. like you said, I mean, command can really offset. And he'll still have great stuff, but... That just goes to show the upside that D.L. Hall has still, even if, you know, he hasn't really found that command yet. That's a hot topic on all these uh, prospect lists as well. You see D.L. Hall as low as, like, off the list in some places in the 90s and then up higher in others. I guess it just, if you're a believer in uh, in if he will ever find any command. And I think uh, the prospectus people thought he could just because of the athlete that he is. They said there's really no other reason. There was really no reason that he shouldn't be able to improve his command. That was way off topic. Well, and I think that's actually a good time to transition over to FanGraph's new list. Eric Longenhagen uh, over at FanGraph's published his ranking of the Orioles farm system last week with the top 38 prospects plus notes on other players who fell outside the list. And for reasons I'll get into a little bit later on, that section of the report is definitely worth paying attention to. But um, there was some stuff on here that really took people by surprise. Um, for instance, Colton Calder coming in 12th on the list between Dylan Beavers and Judd Fabian. However, Samuel Basayo and Frederick Ben Cosme both ranked pretty high at 14th and 15th, respectively. You also have Juan Nunez, who was part of the package for Jorge Lopez with Povitz last year from the Twins. Um, Eric Longenhagen, pretty high on him because he has him 20th on the list one spot ahead of Hudson Haskin, and two spots ahead of Noah DeNoyer. So on the whole, as usual with Eric Longenhagen, very well-researched, very well-written, and a lot of good reports, but definitely not the rankings I think some people were expecting. So, Bob, I'll just jump right in with Colton Calder. Um, And I'll just say that this does not really reflect the consensus in the industry right now because Calder has made most top 100 lists that came out. He ranked on the ESPN list that we talked about earlier coming in 30th there. But it does show that at least among some evaluators, there is a bit of a gap between wanting to perhaps write off some of the strikeout issues that Calder had last year or not believe that they're going to be a limiting factor going forward versus believing they could actually limit his ceiling offensively. Yeah, I think Eric's been hanging out with Keith Law a little too much lately. No, um, I thought Locked on Orioles, uh, Connor Newcomb specifically, had a really good take on this on the, his podcast this morning. Just that, you know, if you really look at what he's writing, it's, you know, some people believe he can stick in center field. Eric doesn't seem to think, he seems to think he's more of a corner outfielder. And with his profile and the risk of the strikeout issues and not being able to hit the the breaking stuff as well this past season that that lowers him down with his potential. So, I mean, I can see where he's coming from. I disagree, but that's okay. I think uh, I also, I'm just a believer that Kowser is learning a lot 
in a short amount of time and he, he's smart enough and an athlete enough to make it eventually click. I do think just like Kyle Stowers, I think we're going to see that strikeout rate rebound in a big way this coming season, but it has to be proven first. Um, got no real issue with that ranking. Um, I'm a little more surprised Jackson Holiday was above Grayson Rodriguez. I feel like, I don't know. It seems like a little too much weight was put into the stuff Rodriguez showed after coming back from a lat injury. Uh, of course, his velocity was a little bit down. I mean, maybe there's something to it, but I hadn't heard that from anyone else. Um, but I respect Eric, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that that was my biggest issue with that was yeah the heavy reliance on post injury data there with Grayson Rodriguez, which I mean, he's not getting called up last year, so he's not going 100 percent when he returned from that injury. So yeah, the stuff's not going to play up as well. But uh, with Colton Cowser. I don't have an issue with him being 12th either, just because I mean, Colin Kowser, and we've mentioned this since he was drafted, is the ceiling incredibly high? I don't think so. Like in terms of he's not going to be a multi-time gold glove winner who wins MVP trophies. Like we've never profiled him as that. I don't think anybody has, but he has a really safe in terms of talking about prospect safe, incredibly safe floor, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, he's not in with the way Eric structures his list it's future value um which you know why jackson holiday is so high like you if you see gunner henderson 2.0 there maybe even better yeah he's going to rank incredibly high there but i i just think that list yeah it comes down to as eric said it comes down to the hit tool and whether or not you view him as a center fielder but nothing in his write-up or anything keith law said about colton Kowser. my thing with all this is none of nothing they said is new like we knew all of those struggles they pointed out we knew it when he was in aberdeen yet he still finished his first full pro season in AAA. You look at the final numbers, he had 57 total extra base hits last year across three levels, a 406 on base percentage. The man put up a WRC plus in Bowie of 184. That's 84% above league average. And that's not because Bowie's a hitter's park. That's because he's good and just completely dominated that level. And I think when he got promoted to AAA, yeah, the numbers in Norfolk were not great, but so what? It was his first full year of pro ball. He was learning, like Bob said, a lot, not just on the field, off the field as well. He had to learn a lot to get his body right. He still finished that first full year in AAA, gets up and had us a 20-something game sample size in AAA. And I, I was looked at the game logs, actually, and entering September 10th, which was about halfway, a little less than halfway through his tenure in Norfolk, he was hitting 079 with a 225 on base percentage. Less than three weeks later, I mean, that's terrible. There's no denying that. By the end of the season, though, which was less than three weeks later, he was hitting 219 with 339 on base percentage, 429 slugging, which was up over 200 points from what it was back on September 10th. So he was settling in. like, um, And, you know, you yeah, you face quad A guys a lot of those nights in AAA, but those guys have major league experience. They've been around for a long time. Like, go back to our conversation with Justin Ramsey. That's value. A prospect like Kowser facing those guys, there's value in that because those guys are smarter than, than you are at this point when you're a prospect in your first full year. So, yeah, I, I just think you take a step back, look at Colton Kowser's season as a whole, it was fantastic. Those write-ups don't change my opinion of him. He's he's a fantastic prospect who's going to have a very long, good major league career. Is he going to be a multi-time all-star, multi-time gold glove winner? Probably not, but I never viewed him that way anyway. So write-ups don't change anything. We knew what the weaknesses are. And the strikeouts, like Jeff Pont said it last week, who cares? Like you got on base at a 406 clip. 
Who cares that you strike out a little bit above league average? Stop. Give it up already. The strikeouts. It's just, it's annoying. I'm what glad it? you pointed out that Eric goes completely off of future value because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these are weighing ceiling and, and floors, and he's just going off strictly future value. So that, that changes the, the whole complexion of what he's doing. Yeah, and that's why, you know, and I will give Eric this. He's consistent. He's been high on Joey Ortiz for a while, and he's six on this list. He likes Ortiz's future value at a 50, which probably checks out when we think about how good Ortiz could be defensively. And then on top of that, he's a guy who draws a lot of walks, doesn't strike out, and now is showing potential for maybe low double digits home run power every season. I agree with you, Nick. It really, none of the write-ups positive or negative that have come out about Kowser this offseason have changed my mind. And the other thing, too, is that Kowser is one of those prospects that I'm reluctant to doubt. Because let's think about his cycle, over his arc over the last two years. He's a small conference bat at Sam Houston. That doesn't mean anything. You know, if he had gone up against SEC or ACC pitching, he might not have been that good. Uh, you know, he gets in, he gets drafted by the Orioles. They were just going under slot. He can't hit for power. And then sure enough, he goes out last year and he hits for power and he ends the season in triple A. So I'm kind of inclined to not bet against Colton Cowser until he gives me a really strong reason to, and he hasn't done that yet. Nope, not at all. I mean, he's, yeah, like I said, incredibly safe floor with Colton Cowser. And I, I think, yeah, I, I like that your note too there of the strikeouts or, or if you want to fixate on that, they could be improved next year. Like look at Kyle Stowers 2021 numbers and before that numbers. And then look at his 2022 numbers in triple a. I mean, he just a fantastic improvement. So the Orioles can correct that. If they think that's an issue, they can correct that. But again, he got on base nearly 41% of the time last year. Like that's, that's fine. But yeah, like kind of elsewhere looking at that top though. And some other guys you, you all mentioned, in Eric's write-ups, I love how aggressive he is, and it, it's consistent, like you guys mentioned too, on Kobe Mayo, Kate Povich, Joey Ortiz, all in the top eight. I love love the Kobe Mayo write-up because he says, yeah, he's suited for he might be more suited for right field, but he smokes the baseball and has no underlying swing and miss issues, and could have a seventy grade raw a seventy raw grade arm in the outfield and become a star out there. So, yeah, if Kobe Mayo has to move to the outfield, he can play third base very well. He's got a cannon for an arm. But if he moves out to the outfield, becomes an all-star right fielder, is anybody going to complain? No. Uh, I don't think he would either. Uh, And with Joey Ortiz, there's an interesting note there. Uh, Ortiz had an 89% Z contact rate, which is contact on pitches inside the strike zone. He would have ranked ten in the top 10 among major league shortstops. And then with Connor Norby, he talked about how you know Connor Norby, the changes he made, the mechanical changes he made in his swing. Eric believes that Connor Norby truly is a 25 plus home run guy in the major leagues. Like those are all those three guys, like that's huge. Those are huge compliments and huge numbers for them. And I'd like to point out that Samuel Basayo did not make the list last year of top 45. This year, he's number 14. So clearly, whatever was the bugaboo that kept him from um, putting him on that list last year, that hurdle got cleared. And now he sees the potential there, um, as we all do, I think. But uh, the Ben Cosby at 15 might even be more exciting just because 
I don't know. It just feels like that international presence between those two is really going to take off this year. And that's exciting. And if just look at Fredendary's uh, Twitter and Instagram, you're going to see him adding some muscle, just smacking the ball around. I'm so excited to watch him play this year. Yeah. I'll, go ahead, Nick. I was going to say that that was my other big takeaway from this list is was the international guys just as a whole. Uh, it, it really backs up that they're coming comment about the younger international players in the system. Basayo and Cosme back to back at 14 and 15 is phenomenal considering no one knew who Frederick and Cosme was a year ago. Uh, we barely knew. We knew he could bunt. That was about it. Right. Uh, just glowing report on Basayo. I don't even, I don't have the article up anymore. Some like Paul Bunyan references or something just ridiculous because he's a mammoth of a human being, but he could likely stick at catcher too. Like that's the mind blowing part of all of this. A lot of these national reports, they're not just instantly writing him off as a first baseman or DH type. They're saying he could stick at catcher. Um, and I think at the end, the very end of the article, Long and Higgin notes that by the end of the year, Basayo and Ben Cosme could be in the five to 10 range, which I mean, shout out to John Mueller who had that first with the Basayo being a top five prospect, but credit where credit is due. But Mueller's not the only one. Um, Leandro Arias, he still had pretty high at 17 and said, yeah, the numbers were bad in the DSL, which they weren't great, but the batted ball data was really phenomenal. Uh, so that's, and we've heard that as well. So yeah, he's still up there. Juan Nunez at 20. The Jorge Lopez trade was fantastic and you can disagree, but you're going to be wrong there. Just so much optimism about these guys from a national perspective that it's crazy to see how quickly Kobe Perez has, and his staff have taken no international presence to how much, what percentage of your top 10 is going to be international guys in a year, a year and a half. Yeah, and I'd like to point out that when he said they could be top five to ten prospects, it wasn't because of graduations ahead of them. He he specifically noted that they would deserve to be there. It would be because of mm -hmm. their progress, not just because the system got thinner. One thing that I jumped out at me on Eric's list was way down his write-up about uh, Xavier Moore. And Moore is a guy that I've liked for a while. And when I was actually putting together – my story for Baltimore sports in life back in the fall about the rule five draft. I thought about profiling more, more extensively than I did, but ultimately backed off because he does have issues with walks and he doesn't have a lot of high level experience in the minor leagues, but you read the write up on uh, his stuff since 93, 94 curveball vertically divergent movement from his fastball Change up and runs away from left-handed hitters. There's a lot of stuff there to like with Xavier Moore. So that's a guy that I'm definitely going to be watching closely this year and always scroll down to the other prospects of note section because good or bad, you're going to learn something about a player there. And usually if there's a player who like will rise towards the pack and move up into you know top 30 consideration, Chances are they're in that section of the list. That could be where your breakout is. And I'm watching out for Daniel Lloyd. Um, that's another reliever with good stuff. Eric has him covered here and notes that he has uh, plus plus breaking ball spin rates uh, and can sit in the low 90s. So I actually, a few months ago, I believe it was with Jake Rill at MLB.com, Matt Blood name checked Daniel Lloyd as a guy to watch. And I remember seeing that and screenshotting and sending it to Nick and Bob and saying, this is interesting. It's not every day that Matt Blood mentions somebody like this. And usually when he does, 
they followed suit with a big year. So more positive reinforcement for Daniel Lloyd here. Yeah, I like, I like that. that. And uh, let's ignore the travesty that is putting Gene Pinto all the way down at 36 <laughs> and be optimistic with uh, – I like the. I learned a new player in the Orioles organization, Yiver Cartaya. Uh, seems like he sits 93, 95 at 20 years old with very little control, but if he could harness it, sounds good to me. And I really like the youngsters with helium section, which was exclusively international guys. Anderson Daler Santos, who we know a lot about, Steven Acevedo, Braylon Tavera, Isaac Baloney. Ellis Cuevas and Alfredo Velasquez. So looking forward to see what they can do this year too. Yeah, that that's an interesting section because I feel like Steven Acevedo should be like 29, 30 years old at this point. Um, I don't really know. I feel like he had a lot of opportunity in Del Marva last year and couldn't take advantage of it. And they kept sending him back to Sarasota. But it's interesting that he's so low on Braylon Tavera again. Tavera didn't crack the top. I don't forget how many prospects he ranked last year, but Tavera wasn't on that list. He's not on the top 38 this year. He's like, this isn't even alphabetical order. So I don't know how he ranked these or if they're like ranked or anything, but he's the last name on that, that list in that section. So that's interesting. Um, Xavier Moore is definitely a guy that I want to like. And I know we get a lot of comments on Twitter about Xavier Moore. I don't think we've ever highlighted him like on Twitter or this show, but the man pitched 33 innings last year in Aberdeen and had a 1.36 ERA with 58 strikeouts, and just 15 walks and a 157 average against. So, yeah, Silly good numbers. yeah, good call there on Moore. Uh, definitely going to pay attention, pay more attention to him next year. My only other gripe with this, we're talking about those extra names at the bottom, is the section of names you know who've had a rough go. Yaki Rivera. Um, remember the name Yaki Rivera. I love, love, love him. Sam Jelinek had high praise for him. Uh, he did have a, some ups and downs last year, but I think the man is, I don't want to say a bulldog because he's tiny. He is, he's a tiny bulldog, but um, th- I think Yaki Rivera is going to make some noise uh, next year. He's got some Yaki stuff. He can strike those hitters <laughs> out. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that, Nick, because Rivera, you can argue, was actually ahead of schedule last year getting to Delmarva for as long as he did, 16 games, 35 innings pits. He didn't turn 19 until July. And before that, over the last two years, had just combined 14 innings in the Florida Complex League before making that jump to low A. So, you know, there were definitely some ups and downs, and there were some pretty ugly numbers in the ERA of over six. But strong strikeout numbers for a guy who, again, pits much of last year at 18 years old. And could go back to Delmarva next year, and I think with more consistency, that's a guy that we're talking about a lot more because he would be a 20-year-old possibly at Aberdeen. I'm just interested to see from a national perspective where these international guys, and Basayo and Benkazme are getting that love now, but I just feel like how many of these national guys are still not like fully paying attention to the international side of what's in the Orioles farm system? Because they say, well, it's only been a couple of years. There's no way they've gotten great talent yet. How much are they really watching, paying attention to those guys yet? And I'm, I'm curious to see like how many guys really, really start to pop. And what percentage of top 30 lists are going to be made up of these international guys in two years? I, I hope it's, it's a surprising amount. But I, I think that's something that I'm going to watch for, especially this year, because we're going to see a lot more of those recent draft or signing classes in Delmarva and in the FCL, 
I'm really anxious to see what they look like this year because I think that could be uh, an overlooked and not talked about section of the system. So we'll wrap up here with a quick recap of the Orioles caravan events that took place over last week and into the weekend. I was not able to make it out to one, but followed along on social media with the Orioles post. And it looks like it was a good experience pretty much everywhere they went. Bob, however, did make it out uh, not too far from his house. There was an event and um, there in your on the verge, sir, which first of all, good product placement. Had to do it. Um, Apparently recognized by Michael Elias. Yeah, he's. I got up to the mic. Said I was the first person to ask a question. Hey, Mike, uh, it's Bob. I didn't say from on the verge. He said, "Hey, I know you." I was like, "Hey, come back on the show then, if you know me so much." So, how else? Uh, what was kind of insight did you get from the event? Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was more just a fun thing for the fans. There wasn't a ton to sink your teeth into, but it was just cool to be that close to a, a Q and A. It felt a little fan festy with the. With uh, Brett Hollander there, MC in the event. Uh, I my question was, how are you going to balance trying to win games at the major league level and be competitive versus bringing all these talented prospects up, giving them the playing time that they'll need to develop at the major league level? And he basically said, look, winning comes first. The rebuild is is no longer what we're focusing on, and you know, winning comes first. That might come at the detriment of the prospects, at least in the short term. But you know, he said. You could see guys stay in AAA longer than you might expect. Again, Kyle Tucker, Astros is what I, my mind goes to. And he said, you know, you might even if they come up, they might got might not get the playing time that you know typically you'd want to see to continue their development. They could be part-time players, bench players, role players for the time being. And you know, but and then uh, Brandon Hyde chimed in and said these things have a way of working themselves out whether through injury trades just someone breaking out in a performance that can be not ignored any longer so i thought it was a, a good answer to a a pretty tough question and the rest of the questions were nowhere near as uh, thought provoking in my opinion but you know he did talk about Kobe Mayo a little bit i posted that on twitter um, where basically they want to move him around. And, and like I mentioned earlier, not because they don't think he can play third base, but there's a lot of infield prospects and he's got a potentially special bat that seemed to think he seemed to think could actually force its way kind of like Gunnar Anderson up to towards the major leagues, even as soon as this year. So get him some experience all around the diamond so that when and if he comes up to get that bat in the lineup, he can play multiple positions and he he seemed to say like that is the case with a lot of these guys like Joey Ortiz he can play multiple positions kind of they want to get these guys able to move around a lot we we learned what Taron Vavra's learned in first base not your prototypical first baseman but hey whatever gets that bat in the lineup he also talked about Grayson Rodriguez sounds like he's easily a favorite to make a rotation spot happen for him as long as he's healthy and performing the way we know he can. He should be in that starting rotation, hopefully for the home opener. That would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, not a ton else. Uh, doesn't sound like we're in the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes, which is not a sweepstakes, but a uh, who's going to be stupid enough to do it. It doesn't sound like the Orioles are going to be, even though they basically no commented it, it was more like a no comment. Uh, but yeah, not a, not a ton else other than that, but it, it was a good time. It was cool to go there i was surprised how little people were there i think maybe just the timing and the weather but uh nevertheless it was cool i get the vibe that it and it started with 
seemed like it started with your question apparently then and the rest of these caravan events that a lot of the comments from elias and everybody else you know the i think even straight up said like the rebuild is over right we're entering this new phase uh so yeah like i said with westberg you're going to see guys in triple a probably longer than you want i don't really see an issue with that and you know we saw the daryl hernai trade we just talked about that last week and we probably see even more of that which i think is really cool it's definitely comforting i, I wish i lived closer to go to some of these events but from what i've gathered in the q a's and and videos and interviews and stuff and articles that have come out of this it definitely seems like um the gears have been switched the the, the switch has been flipped what i'm trying to say there um the switch has been flipped and yeah the, i i think i don't know if we're we're not talking about world series obviously this year but uh at some point the floodgates are going to open in terms of like trades and hopefully money next off season um and yeah, I think we're entering a brand new phase of Orioles baseball and it's extremely, extremely exciting. And I'm ready for these events kind of, even with me not being there, these events have kind of sparked that for me of, yeah, I, I'm ready for spring training to start and see these guys on the field. Yeah. I mean, there's so much excitement in the air for the Orioles season. The Angelos brothers even dropped the, the lawsuit against each other. It's a beautiful thing. And we're going to have a closer look at spring training next week with our spring training preview show. Yeah. We're going to actually have an opening day roster projection as well as some predictions related to spring training. And speaking of predictions, before we sign off here, it is our last show before the Super Bowl. Nick, Bob, any predictions? Sure. Mm -hmm. I'll say Chiefs 31, Eagles 27. Oh, man. I haven't really sat and thought about this too much. I did the DraftKings ad you read, that bet. I did. I put that bet down myself. So if anyone else wants to tail that, um, when Travis Kelsey or Blake Bell throws a touchdown pass, uh, you're welcome and take home a couple hundred dollars that night. Um, as a Cowboys fan, this I, I shouldn't say this, and uh, but I'm going to. I love Jalen Hurts a lot. So I'm going to go Eagles. I think Eagles win. 24 it's gonna be 24 21 last second field goal wins it for philadelphia i'm taking the eagles as well 28 to 21 um and for coverage of the super bowl head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com not only will you find articles about the super bowl you also see stories about college sports the orioles and more and while you're there be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion with fellow readers as well as contributors to the site also, check out our social media at BSL on the Verge for Twitter. We also have Instagram and Facebook pages. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, our Patreon community is wide open and there's a lot of good content coming out right now relating to our top 50 list. And that is only the beginning because we will have all sorts of uh, bonuses for our patrons throughout this season. We'll be back next week for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Sweden. You've been listening to On the Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.